Hello everyone and welcome to episode 27 of Own the Road with Auto Trader, where we make car stuff simple for Canadians. My name is Jody Lyon. I am the editor-in-chief of Auto Trader. And I am Dan Alika, and I am Auto Trader's road test editor. And today we have with us a very special guest. We call him Auto Trader's data genius. Also, Auto Trader's own Turkish delight, I've heard, Thank you. float around. I think that's, uh, that's much more friendly. So please Thank introduce you. yourself to our audience. Hi, everyone. My name is Barish. I'm the Vice President of uh, Insights and Intelligence at uh, Auto Trader. Emphasis on the intelligence. He's a very smart guy, honestly, so in demand. You might have seen him on TV before. Um, he really knows Auto Trader's data inside and out. Uh, he puts out among many other things, a quarterly price index, well, which we'll get into later. Um, and so he's gonna explain to us like why cars are expensive right now, what's been going on to make them this way, um, and if they'll ever fall back. But for now, Dan wants to tell us a story about a road trip he went on this weekend. Yeah, so before the pandemic, uh, my friends and I were like, it'd be cool to start doing a kind of annual trip. Uh, we went to Rochester, New York, which is only about a three hour drive. And then, of course, the pandemic hit and, you know, everything changed. We weren't allowed to cross the border. Now that things have opened up again, it's important, you know, because a lot, well, all of these guys, except for myself, have kids. It's hard to kind of get away, but it's, you know, we've kind of, it's that reprioritization of, of what's important in your life. So we went down and we took the Toyota Sienna, which was sort of strategic on my part because I love vans. These guys are all dads. And I was like, you know, this is kind of the perfect the, the perfect audience to, to see what they think of vans these days. And it was interesting. I mean, they all loved it from a practicality perspective. They loved the fuel economy. We averaged 6.4 liters per 100 kilometers. That's Whoa. amazing. Yeah. That's really good. A van, five, well, mostly grown men. Uh, a <laughs> couple of them are still, you know, getting there. But uh, it was a good time and it was a lot of fun. And it just really like cemented my love for, for the Sienna. Um, so yeah, it cool. was, yeah. I, I thought you were going to say it cemented your love for your friends, but oh, you're no, like no, secondary no. I, to the minivan. I, yeah, I barely like those guys, but the <laughs> van, I'll tell you, the van was good stuff. Cool. That's awesome. Um, well, again, thank you for joining us today, Barish. We have, uh, we often get asked about car prices and like people are like, why is it so expensive? How did it get this way? Um, so maybe you can give us a little bit of background on why car prices are the way they are today. Yeah, so it's it's a good question. And I get that question a lot, Jody. As soon as I tell someone that I work at Auto Trader, the first thing that they say, oh, I'm looking for a car, can you get me a discount? Like, <laughs> no, I can't get you a discount. The second question is what's gonna happen with used car prices? So, uh, but going back to your question, um, car prices, how do I summarize it in, uh, um, in a couple of minutes? Um, so as you know, back going back to the beginning of 2020, uh, when COVID hit, uh, auto manufacturers uh, paused their um, uh, manufacturing facilities for obvious reasons. And then therefore, they thought that there would be a big decline in uh, vehicle demand and therefore they're like okay we don't need any chips we don't need any additional parts we'll just like pause it pause the uh, uh, operations for a while but you know fast forward forward a couple of months later you know summer came and you know obviously no traveling and whatnot there was a quite a bit of demand on private vehicle ownership mm -hmm. because from our research we know that uh, consumers didn't want to take public transportation and ride-sharing services. So there was a quite a bit of interest on uh, private vehicle ownership. So we looking at our site, we saw this huge demand on, 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 on um, 
huge increase on uh, site traffic. So we wanted to understand why and did this research. So, um, and then, you know, l now fast forward three years, looking at the market now, because uh, fewer cars manufactured between 2020 and pretty much 2023, what happens when there's less cars in the market? That means that there's less cars in the uh, used market. So the overall, uh, the market, just the number of cars uh, declined by quite a bit. We, ex we estimated that to be around like 1.3 million fewer cars in Canada only. And wow. we know uh, that the total car park is around 30 million cars in, in Canada. So that's quite a bit. Uh, so now production levels are coming back up. Things are improving. Looking at uh, new car inventory levels, they've been going up since August of 2022. Uh, so, uh, but the demand is still still out there. So, economics 101, right? Supply is low, demand is high. What happens to the prices? Prices uh, keep going up. Got so, it. Uh, looking at the our latest price index, looking at the March data. Um, the average price of a new car was just below $62,000, okay. which is a 17.4% year-over-year increase. That is a lot of money, man. That's a lot of money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Uh, and looking at the used side of things, the used car prices on average is now uh, um, just over $39,000, Wow. which is a 5% uh, on a year-over-year -year basis. I remember, sorry, Jody, I remember just a few years ago when the average transaction price of a new vehicle in Canada eclipsed $40,000 and everyone went, oh my God, Holistic. we're spending too much money on cars. Right. And now here uh, we are. So $62,000. It right. is just, and obviously trucks are pushing that. I think something that I always <clears throat> uh, try to help people understand is that pendulum swing. So like you talked about with production, um, you know, catching up microchip supply shifted from cars to computers, tablets, yep. those yep. sorts yep. of things. So now that the auto industry wants those back, well, it takes a while for that momentum to swing back. And then same thing with inventory, with production. It's not just a light switch, you know, that you turn on and off. Yeah, that's a good point, Dan, because, you know, it's like I'm not I'm not an engineer. I'm not a uh, microchip expert by no means. But on the other hand, uh, because of the job, I read and uh, watched a lot of things about microchips and they're extremely difficult to manufacture. The, the technology is super advanced. So in the U.S., President Biden just uh, a couple of months ago, uh, they've uh, uh, they've committed to um, investing $50 billion in the microchip industry, but the, uh, it's going to take a while. So the first uh, uh, manufacturing facility will be operational by 2025. Wow. As you suggested, right? The money is there. The intention is yeah. there. The need is there. The demand is there, but it takes a while exactly. for these things to And yeah. then yeah. the same thing applies that pendulum to, like you mentioned, with used, <coughs> used inventory. If people aren't buying new cars for one reason or another, whether it's because they can't or they can't afford it, they're not available, whatever the case may be, that puts so much pressure on used car inventory because those vehicles that would be cycling into the market every two, three years, there's going to be a big gap. And then the other side of it that I think people need to understand is, you know, the world is flat, right? The Canadian market is such a small piece of the global auto industry. Correct. So this same it's not isolated to canada this same thing is playing out in the us which is 10 times the size of canada in europe and when it comes to things like plug-in hybrids and electric vehicles where the demand is higher 
you can look at it on in a it kind of gives a good sample in Canada, right? Where EV rebates are highest, BC and Quebec, yep. that's where manufacturers are pumping EVs. Those are the markets that they're heading to. Well, on the world stage, the same thing applies where in China, in Europe, where there's more incentive and a bigger push for EVs, that's why demand for plug-in hybrids and electric vehicles is so high and people are on these big long wait lists because OEMs are trying to backfill demand, not just in Canada, but around the world. Around the world, yeah. No, that's a, that's a great point. And going back to your early, one of your earlier points, Dan, um, so because of um, new cars uh, weren't as available in the last couple of years, uh, again, going back to our um, path to purchase research, what we found was that those 30% uh, of the consumers who bought a used car in the last couple of years, they did it because they couldn't find a new car uh, that they were looking for. So that demand shifted to use and again, impact on prices, right? Now that with the uh, new car inventories coming back, we are expecting that to come back to uh, shift back to new a little bit. So probably there's gonna be a further fluctuation in the prices in the next while. Um, but things are very interesting. But again, uh, so you talked about EVs. E EVs are very interesting. Obviously we, we monitor it very closely. Uh, so what we are seeing is that there's a direct correlation between EV prices and gas uh, EV demand and gas prices. So for example, if you remember um, uh, March 2022 when the situation in Ukraine started, overall gas prices went up uh, over two dollars in, in Canada. So we came to ba uh, we came to uh, work on Monday and we saw this like spike in leads <laughs> and we wanted to understand what's going on and we looked at it. EV leads went up by 567% on a year over year basis. Over the course of a few days. Yeah, wow. yeah exactly, for, for, for that particular week. And then we looked at EV searches, they went up by 89%. So wow. whenever the gas prices go up, then- That's uh, the way it goes. I, exactly. You know, it's that, there, it's, a, it's a very interesting, <coughs> Uh, study in what the market can bear and how to get people into into EVs, right? It's I think it's it just shows that people care when it comes to their pocketbooks, right? When it really affects their personal finances, that's where you're going to see people more willing to pay or or at least show an interest in EVs that the people that might not otherwise be so interested right now. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and so the other interesting thing that I saw in your report was uh, the comparison between new and used car pricing pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and now. Um, so can you just give us a little bit of insight into like what that journey looked like? We don't have to get into specific data, but just like a general high-level overview. Yeah, yeah. So when we look at new car prices, new car prices have been going up uh, on a month-over-month -month basis literally for two years now Wow! right like no no breaks whatsoever just they just keep going up because of obvious reasons the demand is that cars not uh, weren't available uh, and uh, as such the prices are going up but on the uh, used side of things th the story is a little different so used car prices what happens with used car prices in quote-unquote normal years that they s they start on a higher in January, they start on the higher side and then they come th uh, they come down throughout the year. But during the pandemic, it was all over the place. It went the exact the other way around. Started lower on, on the lower side and with the more demand and less uh, fewer vehicle vehicles started going up. So last year, 
because of all the interest rate increases and inflation and all the stuff that's been going on in the economy, what we started seeing is that prices started to come down in around uh, July of uh, 2022. It started coming down and we were like, okay, demand just seems to be slowing down a little bit. Prices are coming down and let's see what happens. And then 20 come 2023, it went back up again and now um, they're they're kind of like hovering around um, uh, the January levels so uh, and when we look at the market the market has been very very strong in Q1 uh, so far I mean the Q1 is over but in Q1 the market was extremely strong and again going back to what I was telling you about right demand is there uh, unemployment uh, is very low uh, and uh, based on research, we know that 84% uh, of Canadians get to their work by uh, driving their own vehicle. So if the unemployment is low, what happens? You need a car. And if your car needs to be updated, you'll, you'll need a car. Mm -hmm. uh, so combination of these uh, factors, the, the market has been hot and we are not, we haven't seen any uh, much, much of a slowdown in April either. So we'll see what happens. It's interesting times for sure. Going back to the idea of production and, and how the pandemic kind of made automakers and suppliers rethink the, their approach, right? Um, I interviewed or I was in a, in a round table with Jose Munoz, who's the president of Hyundai Motor Co. Uh, for North American operations. And we asked him, you know, what what they learned and what's the key to, to kind of mitigating these challenges. And, and he said, like, localization. And so, like you mentioned, with you know the U.S. government working to to secure semiconductor supply, <clears throat> brands like Hyundai are bringing battery manufacturing to the U.S. You're seeing more and more of that in Canada. You're seeing it as well. You're seeing investment yep. announcements, Volkswagen, Stellantis, the battery plant. Yep, yeah, yep. because it's it's that idea that things you know kind of got out of hand with these massive, massive supply chains that we were relying on these big webs where when borders were shut down and when you saw, you know, well, some countries can and cannot access, you know, other countries can't get ships out. That was a huge problem with shipping containers. We the, globally ran out of shipping containers. Yep. Yep. And then all <clears throat> the boats were in Europe, North America, South America, and all the brand new containers were in in China and Asia where they were being manufactured. And so there was this big log jam where they're all waiting there. They can't get them back. So he was saying like localizing supply chains is going to be the future of yeah. the auto industry, no, which I thought was really fascinating. Yeah, you said that really well. And now, you know, because of these all these supply chain uh, issues, um, OEMs actually looked into their supply chain uh, operations and no name, naming names, but uh, couple of OEMs realized that their contingency plans were kind of worthless. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're like, okay, if supplier B, I don't get any microchips or wh whatever the case may be, right? I'll get it from supplier uh, B. But then they realized that supplier A and supplier B, they actually, they depended on each other, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. they didn't know that. So like, ooh, now look. You well, know, I think during the pandemic, one of the only automakers that was actually prepared for this was Toyota. And so they didn't see as much of a backlog as other manufacturers, I think, because they had some kind of control over their own semiconductor. See, I think they're all like the, the one that you saw the, the, you know, it's not just semiconductors, like just small parts, right? 
and that was that was something that because you can't sell a car you saw certain things could be sold you know removed right gm went through that with with heated seats right mm -hmm. so they said okay well we don't have enough microchips we're gonna kind of spread them out and then we'll give you a discount for every vehicle sold we'll cut 250 dollars <coughs> from the price and then once we have those microchips in supply we will retrofit and install for you but to to jose munoz's point stuff like door handles you can't sell a car without door handles <laughs> and if you have a supplier tesla does that no? in, <laughs> if, but if you have a supplier in let's say china right and it's there's a situation like we saw with a with a healthcare crisis and you couldn't get those parts right to your manufacturing plants in other parts of the world you can't say to people hey buy the car, we'll give you 250 bucks right. off. You just can't right, get right, into right, it right, for the right, next right, six right. months or a year, right? right? right. Yeah. So I think that's what you're going to see, you know, those parts prioritized, not just the advanced stuff like semiconductors. I think you're going to see more small parts, the stuff that we don't really think of, but that yeah. are so crucial to, to vehicles. No. That's point. pretty interesting. Um, in, in the history of you doing the price index, have you ever seen new car prices go down? Yes, I did. Tell us about that and why it happened. <sighs> when was that? I have to look at my sheet. But again, uh, the data that I'm looking at right now, it goes back to 2019. And to be honest with you, like before the pandemic, not much happened with prices. It was right? a like, much more stable? Yeah, much more stable, consistent, right? Up and down the percentage point whatever percent two percent up and down so there was not a lot of story to be told with the when it came to pricing mm -hmm. but now right it's like all over the place um but your question is jody so you want to know like what when when that happened yeah kind of like not necessarily when <coughs> but why it would have dropped and why it's so rare for us to see prices drop. So whenever Dan and I review a car, we always look at the price sheet and we're always like, wow, that's way more expensive than I <coughs> expected it to be. And so eventually we just retrained ourselves to be like, oh, well, this is just the new normal now, right? right? And so from, from our perspective, car prices rarely go down, but that's on a very micro level that we're looking at, whereas you're looking at it on a much more macro level. Well, right. I think before before you get into that, I think there is a difference, right? Transaction, <coughs> like Bearish's insight is transactional, right? The actual price that people are paying for vehicles. What we look at is the MSRP or the suggested price mm -hmm. or a specific trim. So just because the price of you know the trim that we tested has gone up, doesn't necessarily mean that the transaction price of that vehicle has changed much. Or we have seen big spikes, but it's sort of unrelated to to MSRP. Right. So let me clarify. So first of all, let's clarify what we are looking at. So when I talk about in the price index, the data that I talk to you guys about, it's all listing prices. Yeah. Got it. I'm not talking about transactional prices, right? But on the other hand, based on the data that we have internally, we do take a look at transactional prices as well as listing prices. So they, they move in tandem, mm -hmm. but they are not exact the same for obvious reasons. Uh, so that's the clarification. Going back to you, Jody. So you're saying, okay, what was happening in 2009 uh, before the pandemic? So again, I'm looking at the new car prices. So in 2019, January, 
uh, average price of a new car was $45,000 and $122. And at the end of the year, it was like $46,695. So there's a little bit of increase. And it's the usual, like, you know, the inflation, the demand, and all that stuff. So it's kind of normal. But again, going back to what happened and say, let's look at 2022. Uh, in January, it was $51,247. Wow. And at the end of the year, it was $58,895. So the scale is completely different compared to how it was uh, pre-pandemic. And now add in the cost of financing, right? Interest rates are so high <coughs> that, and I'm not saying you necessarily have to, but I'm just looking at it from a consumer perspective. Not only are <coughs> prices higher, but the cost of of buying that car, paying for that car, ha- have gone up dramatically. I'm glad that you asked that question because I was just ab- I was just putting a presentation together, and that's one of the points that I'm making. Cool, so we get a sneak peek, everybody. You, get, you have the sneak peek. <laughs> so, um, yes. So the interest rates are high. So Bank of Canada increased their interest rates by like 450 basis points in just over a year, and now it seems to have stabilized. Uh, in the last couple of months. But again, going back to what I was telling you about like low unemployment numbers, high demand on cars and whatnot, consumers seem to be adapting to these uh, new new prices and new interest rates and whatnot. So looking at the, again, this is from our internal data. So before the pandemic, um, the average monthly payment was just below 500 bucks a year for used, uh, $500 a month, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now we're looking at $634. Wow. Right, that went up by quite a bit. And also, this is despite the fact that uh, terms are now uh, much higher. So again, the same period, looking at March data from 2020 it was like 68 months on average, and now we are looking at 72 months. Wow. So in order to make those payments lower, Consumers seem to be extending the uh, overall Such term, a dangerous and despite game. that, the um, average prices are uh, up by quite a bit. Wow. I had a friend who I was talking with recently. He got a new job, and he'd been talking for a while about buying a new vehicle. And with with new vehicle inventory kind of getting healthier, he thought, "Oh, now now's the time." Yep. So he went out, and he was ready to pull the trigger, and got presented with the financing documents and the interest rate was nine percent right and he was like i can't i can't do that right so he bought used because you know that's what you're seeing so that's much of the what market the research also said exactly right so you're you're seeing that more and more but you know <laughs> jody and i always talk about that dangerous game uh of these long finance terms and i understand you know we all understand that that we're facing financial pressures you know inflation but stretching the the finance terms that long you get into this this really risky situation of negative equity right where you owe more money on the vehicle than it's actually worth so if you need to get out from under it or if you've had it for six years and you're still paying it off and you trade it in that money gets rolled over into the next vehicle and it's just this massive snowball effect that's very hard to get 
to get away from. You're like Indiana Jones when that big ball is chasing you and yep. it's like mm -hmm. you're running for your life only there's no way to tuck and roll and get away yeah. from it, you know? And this is why we're, we always give the advice not to buy more car than you need. Yeah. Uh, just <coughs> because the more affordable something is, the less likely it is you're gonna get yourself into that situation. So just again, be really pragmatic about what your needs are versus your wants. Um, but Barish, thank you so much for joining well, us on the show today and sharing your insights with us. This I was very cool. I feel smarter just having talked to you. In your presence, awesome. I feel Mission smarter. <laughs> this was great. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for my guys. This um, was awesome. Yeah. And uh, now we'll have a brief break for a, for a message from our overlords. Save time and money by using AutoTrader, Canada's most trusted place to buy and sell new and used cars. AutoTrader has the most cars and one of the best features is price badging so you can feel more confident that you're getting a good deal. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're going to do our Ask an Expert segment right now, and it comes to us from Ken. So he writes, here goes nothing. I'm a senior citizen. Me too. Deep True. down inside, I'm a senior citizen um, who's contemplating the purchase of an EV, not a high-end model. My objective is to keep the cost of living under tight control. My next vehicle will definitely be my last, and I'm concerned about the cost of someday replacing the battery pack if it fails over the long term. I read that this could be deadly expensive. Have anyone predicted the worst case scenario? Would I be better off looking at a hybrid versus an EV? Thanks in advance. Ken, thanks for your question. That's a great question. Honestly, lots of people ask us that. Yeah. Um, so it's a great question. Um, I think there's a bit of a... It's not that it's untrue it's just that the the speculation of the concern about replacing ev batteries it's sort of a boogeyman it's mm -hmm. not as bad as people think it is expensive but the reality is it's not necessary or it hasn't really become a widespread thing uh i've read lots of studies about this that you know they're talking like 20 years and beyond uh, and even then, the degradation is only to about 80%. So you've lost 20% of the battery life. And if, you know, you're talking about using it just for kind of here and there, running errands, that sort of thing, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Um, now, obviously, I can't promise that, you know, that EV battery is going to be good for forever. But my point is just that the lifespan is a lot longer than people think. Um, these aren't it's not the same as, you know, a gas engine where you're going to have, you know, after three or 400,000 kilometers, um, you're going to want to look at replacing it because the performance has dropped off drastically, or it's just the wear and tear on it is, is bad. It's, it's just not the same. Yes, you are going to see some degradation, like I said, um, but I just don't know that it's worth worrying about that much i'd agree with you um and i the, the way i want to put this into perspective is that like we've all had phones that you know the battery just degrades so much to the point where they can't hold the charge cars aren't built the same way as cell phones are so we have to kind of stop thinking about that oh they're just going to die on us one day because really the what needs to happen to make that a reality is so far from that's realistic, you know? And it's the same thing, right? I remember when lithium-ion cell phone batteries started and people still thought of the old whatever nickel metal hydride um, battery memory. Oh, you want to, don't, don't turn it on yet. Charge it up to full so it sets the battery memory. 
but lithium ion doesn't have that. So that that same sort of you know change in in the way we approach phones had to take place. Uh, and to your point, yeah, it's just not the same. There are, there are mechanisms in place with a with a car battery, and also you're not cycling. Let's just say it is the same. Think about how much you use your phone and how often you charge it. Most of us are charging our phones every night, but you're not doing the same thing with your EV. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, if you're able to charge at home, even if the battery does degrade and you know can only one day hold 80% of its charge, as long as you can charge at home, that's almost a non-issue. But then again, if you're really stressed about it, yeah, go, go with a hybrid. There's nothing wrong with a hybrid. However, we did see the same thing uh, years ago with the first gen Toyota Priuses, you had a lot of cab drivers. I remember this being a big deal because in Vancouver, uh, if you go to the airport, like all the cabs are Priuses. Cool. But those things are like million mile cars that are never turned off. And so they were having to replace their batteries, but that's not the, the test case yeah. that you want to use as your example exactly. for the lifespan of the, the vehicle or the battery pack. Because the average driver is driving a fraction of that. There's no way we can do a million miles in most cars, and yeah. that's just not realistic. Um, but Ken, thank you so much for your question. Um, if any of you have questions for Dan and I, you can email us at expert at trader.ca. Um, and until next time, drive safe. See you guys. <laughs>